everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mom, and effortless lifestyle coach Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. And today I get to interview the amazing Amanda O'Shea. I've known Amanda for about four years. She lives in the same town as I do here in Spain. And you know what I love about Amanda is her happy-go-lucky character. She is full of life. Every time I see her, she's full of beans. And she's just a lover of life. And so the cool thing about Amanda is that she is now at the head of a, a retreat center here for addiction and recovery. And we talked about, you know, what joy is. And we talked about, you know, what has us move away from joy and how you can actually be happy, but not at peace, which is something that I hadn't really cottoned on to. So, as I said, we spoke from everything from, you know, what true joy is to uh, addiction and because of the way that she sees addiction differently to the usual way of addiction, we had a really interesting conversation about that. So if you know of anyone that's going through a hard time with addiction, if you know of anyone or even yourself or loved ones, then this will be a really interesting podcast for you. Happy listening. So I'm really excited to have Amanda here today and, uh, you know, to share her story about her journey with joy, but also um, her work that she does with, with addiction. And so, yeah, I'm super excited. So Amanda, welcome. My curiosity goes to a little bit about your story, because I know that you're a happy-go-lucky kind of gal, and I'm wondering whether it was always this way. Hi, Marina. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here too. Um yeah, yeah, you know, pretty much I was actually. I was, I was always a happy kid. I was always a very curious kid. It always intrigued me. Human beings have always intrigued me, but it always intrigued me why people worried, why people got concerned with stuff that hadn't even happened. You know, that was uh, my mum's a worrier, so I could never get my head around that. Why people, why people worried, or why people were that concerned. So, you know, I hear lots of people's journeys and lots of people were sort of talk about how they were very, I don't know, they were, they were you know, how, how they found joy or found happiness. But I think you're right. I've always sort of had, had that as my sort of general kind of character, being happy. However, what the big thing for me that I saw, because I was very happy and that's how I saw it, I kind of thought that it was my job to make everybody around me as happy as I was. And I innocently thought that because because I was really happy, it must have been from the things that I was doing. So I was, you know, full of advice and full of uh, telling people, well, and then, you know, this is what I do and that's why I'm so happy. So maybe you should do what I do and then you'll be happy too. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, and that, you know, even now, even if I think about, you know, it's probably only really five or six years ago that that, that really seemed true to me, that it was because I, I um, walked my dogs on the beach of day. It was because I watched the sunrise every morning. It was because I did these things that, that I was so happy. And I didn't realize how exhausted I was being 
being happy and, and um, how exhausted I was, like, <laughs> you know, wanting everybody else to be as happy because I wanted people to be on my buzz. That's what we do, right? We're on a buzz and we want, we want other people to be on, you know, to be on our buzz too. So, yeah, so that was, that was you know, huge for me. I've, I've always loved life. I've always loved nature. I've always, you know, been curious. And I've, yeah, I've, I'm lucky that I didn't really, I haven't really lived in, in fear of experience naturally before I sort of had any understanding of, uh, of sort of where our experience truly comes from. Naturally, that was sort of where I was at. So very childlike in a way. There's, a very, there's that sort of childlike of, you know, not being concerned or worried. Um, so that, you know, I'm, I'm very, very grateful, very, very grateful for that. So it's, it's funny that whilst I'm still, that's my character, I'm quite happy. I actually, I'm probably appear less happy these days, yet I'm more peaceful. That's really that- interesting distinction, Amanda. Could you elaborate on that? Because, well, certainly I would just assume that if you're happy, you're at peace. Um, and I think most people would assume that. That, that actually happiness and peace come together. But I'd love to hear more about that distinction. I think that is the thing, you know, I don't know. When I work with people, when I'm meeting people for the first time, like, and I, and I ask people, what is it you want? What do you want from life? What is it you think you're looking for? You know, it's the, the, the most common answers are happiness and peace, peace of mind, uh, you know, joy, con- contentment connection all those sort of all those sort of things they all sound very similar right? they sound very similar it's what you know it's what we want but where I got to see it where I got to see it quite clearly was I remember one day being with with a friend and and there was somebody else that was around and I said oh they're not very happy are they this is me making a comment and not very happy are they and um my friend he said to me how do you know and that and it hit me because my joyful, youthful, childlike happiness is like, way, you know, like hands in the air, like you just don't care. That's how I am. I'm in that. So, so my assumption of happiness is when people are beaming, when people are um, high energy, you know, excited. That's like, oh, happy clappy. You know, that's, and I love that, right? That's, I love, I love that energy and I love that. And it's, it's, it's part of who I am and I love being around that energy. But actually that really struck me like, yeah, how do I know? How do I know they're not happy? Just because they don't express their happiness in the same way that I might do. So I got really curious with that. So I got really curious with, so when I'm happy, I have, I have this vision of what happiness looks like. And that was my reality of what happiness looks like. And somebody else has a different kind of reality of what happiness looks like. So I started to get, that was interesting for me. I started to get this sort of like noticing how, I suppose the the sort of fake happiness that was around or this, this belief that, oh God, you have to, you know, you have to be seen to be happy at work. You have to seem to be happy. Um, at certain places and I just got curious I got curious with the whole subject really of of happiness and joy and the difference and all, all, all of that sort of stuff you know so I do see yeah I do see people now I recognize that in people <laughs> a lot of people are they they would describe themselves as very happy and at peace and yet to me they don't always look so happy and it, it was interesting really really interesting so what is the distinction so I'm still 
I'm, I'm still curious about what the distinction is between, you know, being happy and not being at peace. So I'd really love to know what your take is on that. Well, I can only... Not be at peace. I guess that would be the question. Surely. Yeah. I, I can only talk for myself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, so that's all I can do. So I used to drive around in my little hippie van and, you know, beam in from ear to ear and um, people would describe me as the happiest person I've ever met or the happiest girl in town. Um, that, was, that was how they saw me. That's how I was. But inside my head, inside my mind, my thinking was so busy. And I wasn't aware of that until I was kind of pointed in this direction of, you know, of, of what you and I share and what we coach in. And I didn't even see that. Like I, what, I didn't have the awareness of how busy my thinking was because I had lived with that thinking for 40-odd years. Sure. So I didn't know any, I didn't know any different. <laughs> Like I knew that my head was busy, but I actually thought that that was a good thing. Like actually I thought if other people had as much energy and they had as many good ideas as I had and if they had as much as I, you know, that's how I saw it. Like what's wrong with everyone out there? Come on, get up, you know, go, 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 up, up, up. (laughs) Because that was just my natural upbeat thing. So when I was around people who were, you know, it's funny because, you know, I love being around those people now. But, but back then, the people that were very peaceful, were very quiet and had big periods of silence. And I used to think they were boring. I used to think they didn't know what to say. So I'd better say something. <laughs> just, you know, that's just how it was. And just that's my truth in how, how it was. And that wasn't so long ago. And so what, do you, what have you seen now that's different for you? So obviously, you had a very busy head. And, and, you had a lot of overthinking about other people and about their happiness and about why they weren't as happy as you and, and what changed, what's changed for you and how are you seeing it now? Well, I think the biggest change must've been when I had my own kind of realization of where happiness truly comes from or the misunderstanding of happiness. So at some level, at some level, I knew it to be true that happiness comes from the inside out, that happiness comes from the inside, that nothing out there can make you happy. You know, at some level, I knew that to be true. At some level, when I was very young, I was around a lot of people who had a lot of money and who were really what I would call not very happy. And so I had made this assumption that money made you unhappy. You know, and I actually lived many of my years with that belief system seeming to be true, which meant that I kind of run from money. I, I, I didn't want to date anybody with money. I didn't want to have this money. So, you know, I, I worked very, very hard and made my life like a lot more, you know, there's a lot more effort in my life than, than, than was needed to be really simply from a belief system of where happiness came from. So, so, so when I got to get this sort of understanding that, oh my goodness, like nothing out there has got the power to make me happy nor unhappy. Like nothing. That was huge for me. And, it was, and, and the biggest place where it was huge for me was because I had spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of my sort of, I suppose, adult years or even teenage years living in a real kind of fantasy world and looking for my soulmate. Lots of searching and seeking in that kind of way. Really thinking that, that Happen, and I knew that happiness didn't come from somebody else, but it still felt like I, I was going to be happier, right? If I met met the right guy, or 
so I had a lot of I had a lot of insight around that that wow happiness doesn't come not from anyone anything any situation not even the sun that took me a long time to get my head around so when all of this was being unveiled to me or when I started seeing this to be true for myself and I was having my realizations I was living in Spain and my my story was you know the sun makes me happy and that's why I moved here mm. and people go why Spain you know they say well why not you know because the sun really I say it's the weather it's the weather and then you know, after living here, I realized that there were a lot of unhappy Spanish people. There was, there was a lot of unhappy Spanish people who live under the sun, and it didn't seem to be making them happy, you know? And, and, and so these little things, as the, so, as the seeds were sown, and as I did, I don't know, I did a coaching course, and as I did a, a training course, and as I read books, and as I was, it just started to be like, oh, you know, oh, 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 like, 100% no exceptions to the rule 100% no exceptions to the rule does anything in the outside have the power to affect me positively nor negatively that's where I got that well like that probably took a couple of years actually for me to, to see that ah oh, that's what you mean 100% no exceptions to the rule because there was always that yeah but this and but that and well that's you know uh, well what about this and what about that like people do to me all the time when I'm talking about this they're like yeah well what about this or what about if something happened to my child or what about if something happened here or what about the people who have had this trauma and, and you sort of you know I get to see where wow 100% no exceptions to the rule does anything have that power um, from the outside so happiness comes from the inside not because it, oh, this is the way I see it now, not because it actually comes from anywhere. It's just because that's what it is. Like that's who we are at our true essence. That's who we are is, as I see it, peace, joy, happiness, love. At its, at its pure essence with this amazing gift of thinking to, um, you know, create the illusion that we're, you know, that we're not really. So, so that's, that's where I got to see it. Oh, my goodness. It's all this, not just myself, but what I'd seen on my journey. And I'd done a lot of traveling. I traveled for nine years. And I, I've, I've sort of been parts of lots of different, um, you know, I was very interested in Buddhism, very interested in all sorts of different things. And I guess searching and seeking in this kind of looking for this, this enlightenment. And then I, I just got to see it. Oh, my God, we're all enlightened already. <laughs> like. We're already there. Oh my God, it's not that we're not there. We're already there. And then we get a gift of thinking, which takes us away from there. You know, that's how I, that's how I see it. That's how I see it clearer and clearer and clearer. So, so that natural joy, that natural happiness that I, that I get, and, and I love to laugh. So I'm quite a fun bunny. I love to laugh. I like to sing. I like to dance. I like all that sort of stuff. And that's for me what represents sort of you know, joy and, and happiness for me. But I, I no longer have to make myself appear happy or feel happy when I'm not. And, and that's really nice, actually. That, that's what's been the gift of me being okay when I, don't, when I don't feel happy and not thinking that I should be. Yeah, what a relief. And also what I'm hearing is that now your happiness and your sadness is genuine in that before even though you had, you were happy and were upbeat, there were moments where you were putting it on or you thought you had to be this way for 
because that's who you were or you couldn't show another face because you're always happy and that's Amanda. And I'm assuming that having had the realization that you, that everything is 100% is coming from the inside out and generated through thought, that this also took a lot of pressure off in, in attempting to make others happy, right? Oh, hugely. So, so hugely. And also myself being comfortable <laughs> when other people appeared to be uncomfortable or sad or unhappy or, you know, so... So seeing that I don't have, you know, I don't have that power to affect somebody else. So I, I actually don't have the power to make someone else happy. <laughs> I don't have that. It's like, I, I'm not saying that, that it's not contagious when we're around people that are full of joy, when we're around people who are happy, it feels like there's this infectious, contagious kind of thing that happens. And, and I love that. Yeah, that but I mean, when we're in that presence, it just, that's what seems, appears to be. But that's because I think when if we're in the presence of somebody who is authentically happy, not pretending to be happy, then others, they show up more authentically and their thinking drops and their, their natural happiness just also comes to the, you know, rises to the, rises to the surface. Like there's a big difference of the authentic happiness and the, the show. Yeah. Well, you know what I love? I love... I love the analogy that that we are the sun, like that that joy is always there. It just gets hidden from time to time behind the clouds like the sun does. doesn't mean it's gone. doesn't mean the sun has disappeared. It's there, just clouded by by insecure thought. and 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 what what was kind of dawning on me as you were were speaking was the sense of like so many of us, and I'm you know including myself, I used to people please a lot, and it was just so much energy, right? like attempting to make sure that that everybody else is happy around you um, and that you're pleasing everybody because that somehow means that you'll be safe. And I, and what I'm hearing you say is, is that this also will have a huge impact on anyone that's listening, right? That, that recognizes this people-pleasing tendency. That yeah. you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, and I do, yeah. And I... You know, the other thing, so there, there is the people, please. And then the other thing for me that I saw was, you know, I like being liked. You know, I like being loved. I like to feel. So I had created this sort of little bit of getting this sort of love from everybody and little pieces or whatever. I don't know. I guess it kept me going, right, in my search for love, in my search for, you know, whatever. And I hadn't realized how much, how much of that. So it's quite, a, that is, was a quite relief, actually, when you sort of, you don't really care whether someone likes you or doesn't like you. Right? It's like, you know, it's, it's all right, you know, because if you're just being you, you, you know it's got nothing to do with you. Like suddenly you realise it's got nothing, where they're at has got nothing to do with me really. And, and the other thing that I saw or started to see was I didn't realise how, because I lived in a misunderstanding that I was responsible for other people's happiness, when they weren't happy, I used to take that on board a bit. So if I would, I don't know, you go and meet a friend or I talk to a friend or I haven't seen somebody for a long time and they're down or miserable or they're quite short with me. My, my thinking now doesn't go to, oh God, what have I, have I done something to upset them? Oh God, did, did I, you know, oh God, they, they left me a message and I was too busy to get back to them. Oh, do you think they're upset about that? Well, oh, all that nonsense. 
I just don't go there. I think it's quite cute now when people are walking around, you know, in in the, whatever state they're in. It's just cute. I know, that, or, or, or I believe, I believe that, you know, that that's how it works, that they are feeling their own thought in the moment or they're feeling thought in the moment. So where they're at, where they're at, their behavior tells me one thing and one thing only. It tells me where their thinking's at the moment. It tells me what level of consciousness they're at at the moment. It tells me what, what mood they're in at the moment. And I don't have to do anything about it. I mean, I can ask them, are they okay? I can give them a hug. I can ask them if they want a cup of tea. You know, I can do that stuff, but not from a place of trying to fix them, not from a trace of trying to shake them out of their bad mood, not from that place of, of needing to... To, to be the saviour, to be the rescuer, to be the hero. Not in that place of, oh, they were sad and then they spent an hour with me and now they're happy. You know, none of that stuff, right? None of needing to take the glory for shifting somebody else's mood. Uh, it's just none of that. It's like, yeah, they're, they're all right or they're not all right. Or they're, they're happy or they're sad. And it's like, and then I get the choice of whether I want to hang out with happy people or sad people. You know, if that's if that's what's happening, it's different when you're working with people, right? So I work in a recovery center, and it tends to be that people are in all different moods, all all different, you know, different times of day. That's just how it is. So I get to see it very much play out there, as you would maybe like in a family, right? So if you're in a family, it's like it never seems to be that everyone in the family is in a in a, in a good mood at the same time. Is <laughs> and if when it is, it's magical. When everybody's there, it's magical. That's what we call one of those magical days. We might spend days like that when we're at a wedding or we spend days like that when everyone's in that good mood. That's lovely. It's lovely. But that's not kind of how most family life is or how most normal days are. And most relationships, you know, it's lovely in the beginning when you're in a new relationship and you're both really, you know, in love with life and it feels like the illusion of being in love with each other or it feels like everything's perfect. And then, you know, and, 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 and as familiarity kicks in, you know, our moods change and we're more, we're more um, authentic with each other and we're not walking around in this sort of state uh, like we used to be in the beginning of any relationship. And, and I see that. I see that in work. The more that you understand, not just about myself, but about all human beings, because that's the thing, is that this works the same for every single human being. The thinking system, the system is the same for every human being. But we have different, you know, different thoughts and different, different experiences of that system. So, so I don't have the responsibility. Somebody else is has got their, you know, their character is more, I don't know, moany or groany or miserable or whatever it is. I find that cute now. I find that, I find, I, I'm more intrigued and curious. Whereas before, I think those people, it, oh my God, and cross the road, right? You know, don't have to bump into or deal with that misery or deal with somebody else's. It's just, that's different for me now. I don't, I don't, have to run from other people's moods yeah there's so much in what you've said but but there are a couple of things that kind of popped out at me when I was listening to you speak which was you know going back to the family and especially you know if there are mums listening to this podcast which there will be the sense of guilt and, and guilt is a really big part of this right is when we think that we're responsible for other people's 
experience and their moods, guilt can really play out because we don't understand. We think that we're responsible for other people's moods, especially our children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see this with my son. He gets a mention every single time I speak about this because it, for me, the age he's at, well, he, he just expresses it so well. Um, when he gets in a, in a tantrum or a really bad mood, I used to feel guilty and I would be like, what have I done? What have I done or not done that would make him feel that way? And then over time, I got to see that, that I'm not responsible for his mood. He, he, his thinking is. And that was such a relief in terms of the guilt because I thought I was like, oh, I'm not responsible for his experience. I'm not responsible for my son's mood. I'm not responsible for, for what he's experiencing right now in this moment. I don't need to feel guilty about that. That's just something that all I'm seeing is, is just the system doing its job. It's just thought coming through, insecure thought coming through, and then the sun comes out. Insecure thought coming through and the sun comes out. It's working exactly the same way as, as, as it works for you, me, and, and, and the entire universe and everybody on it. So that was a really big relief. And, and what I'm hearing you say is that is a really big part of this, which is the sense of responsibility um, and these feelings that come with that, which is usually guilt, don't have to be there anymore. In fact, or we don't have to experience them in the same way because we realize that, yeah, we're, we're free to express and so are they. I mean, how super cool would that be if we could gentle parent ourselves and everybody in life? So, you know, Leo's what, three? Three and a half. Three and a half. So, so when he's three and a half, it's kind of okay because he's only three and a half. <laughs> but it's not okay when he's 23 and a half or 43 and a half or 63 and a half, right? Because we've got this sort of understanding, well, they should know better and they, they've grown up now. And, you know, so we give this allowance because they're only three and a half. Oh, well, he's just a kid. He's just a kid. We give this allowance, but if we could see that it works the same, whether we're Everybody. one and a half, three and a half, you know, 23 and a half, yeah, 53 and a half, it's, it's the same. But we have got this thing in children that we've, we have a tolerance or not, you know, so that's, uh, you know, for mums listening in or dads listening in or whoever's listening in, you know, we have, we have this tolerance hopefully that we get naturally with children because of that because we think oh well they're only learning but you know if we have been taught something that's not maybe been quite the truth we're all still learning and in fact what we're pointing to is there's a bit of unlearning to do you know there's a bit of starting again so it's all it's more about you know I I often talk about it as being sort of subtractive psychology or whatever this is about unlearning and, and seeing something differently of the way the way that it works but you know there's more the truth about the way it works what I love about children and I've spent a lot of time around children you know I love children and they've got this thing of, of um, something doesn't go the way that they thought and they go oh it doesn't matter oops a daisy <laughs> oops a daisy doesn't matter yeah like it, it's gone, it's happened. Oops, doesn't matter. Spilt a drink, knock something over. Whoops, a daisy. Never mind, shrug the shoulders. You know, if we could um, learn from the children that, yeah, something has happened, that means it's happened. And then, you know, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We, we've got everything we need inside of us to cope with whatever little, little um, trip ups, little accidents, little whatever's occur in life. 
So there's something about there. There's something about we can have the tolerance for children. We can have that kindness. We even find it funny, like we find it cute in children, but we don't find it so cute when we get older. We don't find it so cute if our, you know, partners or our brothers or our whatever or our parents act like that or our, you know. We, we we give children this allowance and, and there's something about that I love that sort of gentle parenting and gentle parenting yourself somebody described that the other day a lady that came to our retreat she said gosh this is just like gentle parenting yourself yeah and 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 you know I see it more and more especially with my partner who has these moods and you know goes in and out like I do of course but I say to him you know you're acting like a four-year-old. He goes, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and? Kind of, and yeah, totally. And, and, right. And that's what I got to see the other day. I'm like, and so what? I act like four-year-old and five, you know, and, and, and I have my moments of tantrum and I, you know, stomp up and down and, and I have them a lot of the time with my, with my son when I don't get my own way. So we're all doing it just permission to tantrum, permission to yeah. just feel what you feel and, and be in the moment with it. Which kind of brings me on to my next point. Well, next kind of question is, it must be fascinating to do what you do, Amanda. I mean, obviously, you work in the recovery center and you must see all sorts of characters. And I'm, you know, for the listeners here, like I know I used to be like that, which is, you know, come home, have my glass of wine, feel so much better um, until the next day when I probably didn't, you know, and I used to drink a lot because uh, I thought it was helping me numb the pain. Um, numb the voices in my head that weren't very nice to me. Um, you know, and I used to do a lot of drugs too. And so I'm curious about that, what you've seen and what's your take on what some would call addiction that's contrary to the way that, you, you know, that we think it works. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. You know, I, I, I love my job. Um, I love the recovery center. And I love every single person that comes in there. So we, you know, we're an upmarket, an upmarket treatment center. We get to see, I get to see people from all over the world. So we have it was a real mixture of people from all cultures and backgrounds, and and they're pretty much at the height of their addiction. So they're not in there because they just have a glass of wine, you know, at the end of the day after they've had the, you know, dealt with their three children or whatever it's 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 they've got to that point for some reason that where it's sort of life's become unmanageable or life's become you know a point where they 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 sort of surrendered to asking for help so in that way you know there's nothing wrong people who can tolerate alcohol easily people who ha- have you know enjoy that glass of wine after you know a busy day work I and mean, there's no problem with that but it's it's and a lot of these people, it started like that too, right? right. <laughs> right? It started like that. And, um, and, um, and so I think anybody who's listening to this, at some level, when we deep listen to ourselves, we know, right, we know when we are, um, our habits are serving us well or not. So at some level, we know whether that, if we just have a beer or a glass of wine, it's okay. But we also know when it is very mood-altering for us. We know when it doesn't serve us well. We, we know when we don't feel good after it. We know when we, we don't feel good in the morning afterwards. We, we know at some level we know. We might be in denial, <laughs> but, you know, but, um, or whether that's people have a smoke or whatever it is that they do. 
right? And and so I'm not. There's no judgment on all of that on on any of that stuff. And I've done more than my fair share of all of that stuff too. Quite lucky in a way because I did my stuff as as um, experience and never had, you know, never. I I never fully entered into um, what I would call an addiction of any substance, but um, because naturally it seemed right for me to not drink after starting work at the, at the treatment centre. Um, very, very occasionally now would, would, would I have a drink, but that's been a, a gift for me because it's the clarity, mm. the clarity of mind that comes that comes with not drinking. And even though, you know, you, you think you're not, it's not so much, you know, it, you're not drinking so much or whatever, it soon adds up. You know, when I think when the kids were little, I used to love, because I was a single parent and I had two kids and I used to love that glass of wine cooking dinner. In fact, it used to feel like it took the edge off. So I had lots of my friends who they used to do it the other way around. They used to get the kids fed, tea, bathed, in bed, and then they'd have a glass of wine. Well, I did mine the other way around because it used to, it used to, it gave me that little buzz. It gave me that little happy. I'd have a little glass of wine cooking dinner. And I don't know, I'd be more singing, dancing, (laughs) you know, the kids getting to bed about, 10 o'clock because <laughs> I want them to play with mummy. Mummy's really happy now. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's all right in the summer. I didn't really, you know, but that was just the character. That's why I moved to Spain anyway, because, you know, it was different, right? It suited me. It suited me. The culture in Spain suits, 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 suited me then. The kids were younger, kids were out more and whatever. So that, and that was not suggesting that everybody should move to Spain in order to be happy and drink wine. But, you know, th- there is a difference. So I think just, just sort of talking about that, if anybody is listening, as we talk about any kind of addiction, that might be chocolate, that might be biscuits, that could be um, television, that could be Facebook, it could be anything, right? If we're talking about addiction, what appears to be the thing that we reach for because we're not feeling so good. Or because like we're not even often aware of it. We're not even often aware of maybe this state of loneliness that we're in, what, which is maybe why we reach for social media in order to maybe, you know, look at what other people are up to or post what we're up to in order that we, you know, get some comments or get some likes or get some whatever it is what we've got caught up in. You know, we've innocently, innocently got caught up in as a culture, not just as an individual, but kind of as a as a culture. So we get caught up in all of that, I see, as if we're talking about sort of parenting and we get caught up in the competitiveness of parenting, you know, of something's wrong or right, comparing how where our kids are at to somebody else's kids at the same age and you know, we get caught up in in a, in a in a lot of in a lot of stuff as parents, and so as as a parent, understanding what we're pointing to is super helpful. I mean, gosh, we always wish in hindsight. I wish that I had the the understanding that I have now when I was raising my kids, but I didn't. So I did the best job that I could. But I think I believed back then that there were more wrongs and rights, and there were ways I should have. And and I, I you know I always kind of kind of knew that the, the more natural parenting appealed to me. But at, at some level, you know, it wasn't always easy. And, you know, we talk about effortless this, and it certainly felt like there was a lot of effort at certain times. You know, that, that, that did. And it felt like it felt like other things were like a reward system for me, I think. Like you talk about that glass of wine or whatever at the end of the day, you know. It was a reward, a reward system very easy for me as a, I was a single parent. And when I sort of look back, there were certain times 
that I very easily could sort of fall into that uh, victim consciousness, if you like, or the single parent. I could fall under my situation as if that would explain my feelings. Well, of course you're the, of course you're tired, of course you're lonely, of course you're this because you're a single parent or because you're you know a, a, a mother of five or six children or whatever your situation is. And actually, what 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 I see now is regardless of your situation, regardless of whether you've got a living partner or not, regardless of whether you're financially stable in certain areas or not, and regardless of any of that, that even those big things don't don't have the power to affect our feelings in the way that I used to believe they did. So when I got to see that, when I got to see, you know, so we have people, as we know, we have people who have apparently have got everything. They might have the, this, you know, amazing partner and plenty of money in the bank and the big house and the car and the nanny and the, you know, or whatever it is, the job. And, and, and they don't still seem to be expressing much joy. And there are other people who are, you know, raising families here in Spain, you know, we look at families don't earn a lot of money. Like in the, in the town that we live in, there's a lot of people that earn about, I think it's a thousand, thousand euros a month. They live on a family of five on that. And a lot of the sort of South American families, they are full of joy. They're always out eating together in the beach, in the parks, dancing, joy, you know. So we know, we go back to that again. We know that joy and happiness doesn't come from what we have and what we don't have. If we're sat at home or if we're in our parenting role or if we're feeling low, if we're feeling shame, if we're feeling guilt, if we're feeling any of those things that go, that you know, guilt, especially as you reflected on before in parenting, that that is coming from my thinking. The more that I understand that, it's not coming from the situation. It, there's nothing for me to blame. There's nothing for me to blame anymore, including my own childhood. And so that's what I see. That I, What I see, going back to, as people that come into to the treatment center, they, they come in with this kind of list of, if you like, why they were taking drugs in the first place, why they were doing stuff. They've got this list. Well, of course, they've got a story. Right? They've got a story of their childhood, a story of, of their situation. And it appears that was just another excuse, really, to drink or take drugs, to numb themselves. Like you said, they're numbing something, you know, more, more cases than not. I mean, I'm not, there are people that have got that sort of, you know, alcoholism at a different effect where they are, you know, see, it would appear allergic to alcohol, right? Or their body has physically become, the physical body has become addicted to alcohol. That, that, that's sort of a different thing what we're talking about. But if we're talking about listeners who are listening in here now and notice that they might do whatever they do, eat, drink, smoke, whatever it is in order to feel better, it's super helpful to hear this because we don't need to do those things in order to feel better. And, and those things that might feel like they're the answer. So if we're stressed at home, because we're stressed at work, we're stressed parents, we're stressed financially, suddenly the things like alcohol or or sex, or you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, chocolate biscuits, they seem to be the answer because they give this little bit of kind of temporary relief, this feel-good factor. But those things soon soon become the problem. You know, at one at one time they were the answer. And then they become the problem. They become the problem. If we turn we, we start to overeat, we start to binge, we start to whatever, we start to drink too much because 
because it's like a tolerance you know, that if we're using anything to medicate, if we're using anything in a substance form or even, you know, it, it might be um, you know, prescription drugs or it might be uh, any kind of, yeah, any kind of pill that just makes us feel better. People reach for, you know, be it know, Valium or be, be it, you know, diazepam or be it anything because it feels like they're anxious. It feels like they're not doing a good enough job. It feels like they can't cope. It feels like all of that stuff. It's very easy in the world that we live in to reach for something in order to fix that, in order to make us feel better. So I, I do see that seeing people who are at the height of their addiction and then listening to their stories, they, it all started, you know, for some people, yeah, they might have started on a mad, crazy one as a teenager and it just never stopped since then, really, you know. But a lot of people, it wasn't so long ago that they only had a glass of wine when the kids were in bed. It wasn't so long ago they only had a glass of wine, oh, not before five and then it was not before lunchtime, and then it was not before midday, and then it was and um, before they know it. So, so I hear those familiar stories of, you know, gosh, it started, everything has to start somewhere. Um, and what I'm hearing you say is that actually nothing can give us a feeling. Then the feeling isn't actually even coming from the thing that we're doing. So the making feel better isn't actually coming from the alcohol or isn't coming from the food. The feeling better is just coming from our thinking in the moment. It looks like it might be the food. It looks like it might be the alcohol. It looks like it might be all of those things, but actually it's not. But we've, we've been under the illusion that it has been, so we do more of it. And it's, uh, and it, it's really interesting because I, I used to do that, the chocolate biscuits. If I was really stressed, I'd go and hoard. It would be a distraction to the feeling that I was in, be a massive distraction. And then right. I could just focus on eating the biscuits and then feel really bad after I've eaten the biscuits. But at least I wasn't focusing on the thing that I... It was distracting me from the first thing in the first place. But it kind of reminds me of the the quote by Sydney Banks, you know, about our experience and not being afraid of it. And yeah. if we weren't afraid of it, then then alone, you know, that alone would, would actually change the world. Oh, I love that quote. I can't remember it now off the top of my head, but if the only thing that people weren't afraid of was their own experience, that alone would change the world. You know, when you get to see that, it's experience. That's it. We have the experience of, of this happening or that happening. We have the experience of, you know, of someone turning up when they say they're going to turn up or they're not turning up when they say they're going to turn up. We, 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 have, we just have experience. And when we do get to see that, that is very, very helpful because we don't, we don't shy away from life. It's more like bring it on. Mm. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Bring it on. I learn, I learn that I've got everything I need inside of myself to deal with anything that, you know, life's going to throw, throw at me. Wow, when I'm in a good place, bring it on. Bring it on. Somebody said that to me the other day. You know, one of, the, one of our clients, she went, Actually, what I want now, I want a problem now. She went, because I, <laughs> I want a problem so that I, because I know I've got the answer. I was like, you know, I, I said, you know, it's really cool that you've said that and not me, because I, I've often said that. When we get to see, to see this to be true, what we want is more, you know, we're not, we're not afraid of any apparent problems. We get to see that if something looks like a problem, well, then we, you know, the answer's around. The answer's around. It just is. And what if addictive thinking, because I used to think that I was addicted to the alcohol or addicted to the drug, but there's, there's something, there was a distinction I heard 
while back about it actually being addicted to the thinking as opposed to it being the thing. Is that something that you've seen? I just see that what happens, Marina, in in the way that we work, there's um, I love the emphasis on slowing down. I love the emphasis on when we can kind of, we're not caught up. You know, the thing with working with addicts, there's a lot of drama. Okay, like it's that's what it's based on. Drama, 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 drama. And so when we slow all that down, when we create this sort of like that gap, you know, there's that gap. So the more that people have an understanding, this is what I've seen, the way that the mind works, the way the mind truly works, sort of the mechanics of how the mind works, the mechanic mechanics of kind of, you know, thought being seduced by consciousness type of thing. And, you know, when we actually get to kind of look at the mechanics of that in a way and people get an understanding, they they tend to start catching their own habitual thought patterns. They, they, they become the observer of what's going on by this process of our thinking. Like instead of us just believing that every thought that pops into our head to be true, there's this kind of slowing down, a bit like Byron Katie says, you know, like, is that true? Is it true? You know, is it even true or whatever? When we see that, when we, when we see that, is that even true? Like we get to see the neutrality of thought. We get to see that, Thoughts pop in our head. I don't know where they come from, but that suddenly they're there and it's there. When they get to see that, when they get to slow it down, they don't react in the way that they used to, which is like with, which is so instant. So when these sort of what appear to be coming from the body, the urges, the cravings, all of that sort of thing, there's a bit of a slowing down, like, oh, I need a drink. It's like, do I? Like questioning it. Do, do I? Is that true? Do I really? Or is that just. You know, when we get to see that we uh, we don't give our power away, not to anything outside of us, but also not to not to thoughts that pop into our head. So, so that's for me where I've found when I when you know you work with me, and I'm lucky because I have you know people are in there maybe for four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or something. So we don't have to rush anything, and so it's slowly, slowly they're just sowing seeds, sowing seeds, sowing seeds. But until people really get an understanding of how that works and then insightfully have a realization of what we're pointing to. It's that sort of, you know, the, the light bulb moment, the, oh my God, the, uh, the aha moment, that, oh, it's just, you know, just dawns on me or, oh, it never occurred to me. <clears throat> all those things that you hear us all say in that language, but it is like that, right? It's like we see something one way and then we have fresh thinking and we see it a different way. And it is really like, oh my goodness, I never saw it like that. I didn't see it like that. So we, we're, what we're doing is we're nudging people. We're nudging people all the time, just a little like, how about this is how it works? How about this is, this is the way it works? What if this were to be true? I think that's the difference from, from telling people how things work until people see it for themselves to be true. They won't get the gist, the full gist of what it is that we're pointing to. So the same in addiction, you know, I, I see very much so we're addicted to self. We're addicted to this importance of who we think we are as a separate kind of being. And that's just naturally what we do. We think about us. Oh, how does that affect me? Something happens. Oh, how does that affect me? Whereas the more that we understand how that works, the more we're pointed back to who we are, our true nature, the more that we, I don't know, become the witness or the observer, the more that we tend to hang out in a, it it appears like a higher level of consciousness or or a better mood in more of a place of compassion or empathy, more of a place of love. 
our thinking naturally or my thinking naturally doesn't go that way. So when something happens, my first thought of call is not, oh, how does that affect me? It's like, oh, okay, how can I, how can I help it? How can I be of service? You, you don't make it all about you in the first instance. And that's what I see in the, in the people that I work with, that they drop out of that space because they're very, very obsessed in self. So everything it feels like, and there's an innocence to that. If you live in a world like I, I live in, and if you were born into a world like I was born into, that we believe that everything that happens out there affects us, it becomes us and them. It becomes me and the world. Hmm. And when things aren't going, you know, the way we want them to go or, or whatever, or our feelings aren't very good, it feels like it's coming from out there. So that's what we do. We get very controlling and we get to try and control what's coming from out there because we're, we're living in fear. We're living in fear of these feelings without realizing they're coming from our own thinking. So no wonder we all get ourselves all our knickers in a twist. No wonder we all reach out for something. I totally, it makes perfect sense to me. I totally get it. I get it because it sucks. You know, when I, my experience of anything would be loneliness, I suppose, when I was, especially when I was searching and, you know, looking for my soulmate and relationships never seemed to quite go the way that I wanted them to go. It, that felt real. Nobody can tell me that that heartache that I had experienced at that time wasn't real because it felt the realest thing in the world. Mm. felt so real. You know, I could, I could have checked out a life because it, it, didn't, it didn't like it. felt full of rejection and abandonment and all of that stuff. You know, and that's what I see that there's, you know, there's always more to it. It's not just, it doesn't tend to, you know, it doesn't tend to be that people that are taking lots of drugs are, you know, super you know, everything is super cool in their world. It tends to be that underneath there's something going on that, you know, the reason that they, they kind of pick that drug up in the first place, or they really simply have with what I see lots of alcohol, they started off, you know, like everyone did drinking, maybe partying, and then they just drank more and more and more and more and more. And then, and there's, so there's different elements, right? There's different ways of looking at it and different views and different, different things. But what we're pointing to here is, if we're using anything that is a substance or whatever to mask the way we're feeling, to make us feel better, we don't have to do that. When we understand where it's coming from, we can do that. <laughs> we can do that. We can eat as many biscuits as we like. You can have as many glasses of wine as you like. You can smoke as much, you know, whatever as much as you like. But chances are it's probably not going to serve you well after a period of time. And what I've noticed is that I'm... Over time, like I, I used to buy a bottle of wine every night. And then over time, after I gave birth to Leo, I just, my desire to drink just kind of waned and it, it's kind of waned even more and waned and waned. And I'm, what I'm really seeing is the more quiet I become, the more insights I have and the more my consciousness rises, I want to look after myself. It's actually a, what I've seen in the, in our community and in, in in you know in people that that are involved with the three principle understanding is that very thing. I've noticed that they tend to want to look after themselves more and more and more. And you know, going back to what your client said about gentle parenting, it makes a lot of sense. You slow down and you give time to yourself to look after you. Like it doesn't make any sense to me anymore to drink a bottle of wine a night. It, it, it just like ooh. And it doesn't make any sense to me to go out 
and down the pub and drink lots of beer, it makes no sense to me anymore. I'd much rather go to a spa or get a massage or go do yoga in the morning or go for a walk. Yeah. And it's not even like I, you know, 21 days of habit changing. It's not even that. It's just a whole bunch of thinking around those things just dropped away. So this is what's available to us really, which is awesome because it's innate. It's not something that we have to look for. So Amanda, this is like, you know, one of the questions I love to ask everybody that comes onto the, onto the podcast is what are you giving yourself permission to do more of? What am I giving myself permission to do more of? I think just to be me, right? So whatever that is, that it's okay. Whether I want to make more money, whether I want to eat more biscuits, <laughs> whether I want to just, you know, whatever. Yeah, just, just to be me. I don't know. That's the words that have come out of my mouth. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) So um, if somebody wants to contact you uh, or even, you know, if if there's some, you know, they might have somebody who might need to want to come on and need to want to, but it might be useful for them to come to step one and have you. How can they contact you? Yeah, so anybody can. I'm very happy to speak to anybody, especially if you know, and especially if there is anybody who's got themselves or loved ones around them who they think you know that um, addiction might be there might be an issue. So they can go on the website, which is www.step1recovery with the number one dot com, and you can write to me, Amanda at Step One Recovery dot com yeah you can find me on all the normal places uh, you know facebook and and the serendipity experience is still sort of up and running which is so uh, we've got a facebook page there and love and clarity so you'll find me if you you know if you if you look under amanda o'shea you'll find me but especially especially if somebody has got anybody who they're concerned about you know i would um let wisdom talk to you you know um help there is help there is help out there. And the, and the most great thing about Step 1 Recovery, which is quite unusual, um, I don't know any other recovery center in Europe where they have got the sharing of the principles on the program. Well, thank yeah. you, Amanda. This is amazing. Um, and it's been wonderful to have you on. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, really so, great. So until yeah. the next time, bye-bye. Until the next time. May there be lots of joy yeah. in, in your world and in everybody who's listening. Um, and yeah, be you, be true, and uh, lots of love. That's, yeah, lots bye of love. Bye-bye for now. Okay, cheerio. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye-bye. And there you have it, another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.